0: You're listening to Of Slights and Men, with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician production. Hello, and welcome back to Of Slights and Men. Uh, We're so excited to have you with us, and we're really uh, excited as well to have Alice Bayes on our podcast. It was a real pleasure. Uh, She's a a Frenchie, uh, which was fun for me because I spent a lot of time in France and we spoke about a lot of really great and amazing things. But before we get into that, uh, I'd just like to shout out our page, thedailymagician.com, which is uh, kind of the basis of all of this, the reason that we're able to create these amazing podcasts. uh, is because of uh, you guys, uh, because of everyone that goes up, goes to thedailymagician.com and signs up. Uh, and supports us in in whatever way that might be. So please head over there, thedailymagician.com. Please sign up for our daily emails. uh, And please do enjoy uh, this podcast that you're about to listen to. Thank you, and uh, we'll get right into it. Alors, bienvenue à notre podcast. Uh, On a a très hâte d'être avec notre... uh, Enfin, avec Alice Payas aujourd'hui. And if, if you're wondering why we're speaking in French, it's because Alice is French. Uh, and we've been very excited to have her on. We we started our communication over Instagram because we we heard about her new book. And I think uh Benji, do you have a a little intro to give everyone an idea of who Alice is, or would you like me to to take that away as well? You can take that away.
1: I'm, I'm just thinking about all the people listening that probably just like, <laughs> took the their headphones phone, out the, and <laughs> they just found, like they went on the podcast app and they're just like trying to find like where's the language setting. I didn't know you could do this. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right, no, go on, go on.
0: Okay, so, I mean, maybe you can introduce us better, Alice, but I know that you have, you become, at least for us, like a big in the magic magic community uh, in terms of talking um, about the correlations um, between um, psychology and magic. Um, I know that you've recently released, uh, well, I don't know how recent it was, but I, I think, you know in the last year or so you've released that a ted talk that went you know reasonably viral uh as far as the magic industry went and that you're right now writing a book um on the correlations between um, psychology and magic do you have an would you have a better introduction for yourself alice and no
2: then, i don't know I, I... I think it's quite good <laughs> thank you
1: yeah i'll also okay. point out alice is uh you're doing your phd right
2: yeah i'm doing my phd in psychology in london
1: well so you're a uh... You actually have legitimate authority to talk about these things rather than usually we just like start talking about topics we have no <laughs> <like> actual expertise <laughs> in. Um,
2: I don't have the PhD, but, but yeah, I'm the last year. Right you're now.
1: in the process.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, we're excited to have you on. How, how's your day been, Alice?
2: Great. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation. I'm glad to be here.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, I guess we'll just jump right in, Benji. Do you, do you want to kind of take away our, our yeah, first yeah, question?
1: Sure. So when I saw your um, TED talk, and and then I started doing a bit of research into your work, your sort of big thing is uh, studying forcing and, and the psychology of forcing and what it tells us about the mind. And, and the minute I started reading about this, I thought to myself, you know what, there is one magician that I think more than anyone else, um, Alice's work is just directly related to and he exemplifies a lot of the techniques you talk about. And he's just su- such a fascinating case study for all of this. That I figured um, I would send you a link to some of his uh, performance videos if you hadn't seen them already. Maybe you have come across him in your research. Um, had you ever come across Chan Canastab, who is the magician we're talking about, by the way? Yes, and, yes, and if I not, had. what did you think? Oh, of course.
2: But yeah, yeah. I love I love his work. He he's using a lot of forcing techniques which are actually based on subtle psychological principles. So that's a lot of fun for me, yes.
1: And is he one of the magicians that See there's a lot of magicians that will do a force and they'll say I'm going to make you select this card through uh, subtle psychological principles and really it's just like a you know it's a svengali deck or whatever but but Chan is the kind of guy who actually nice. did what he said he was going to do
2: Yeah I think so like I I I don't know every tricks he was using mm. but I think a lot of them were were actually like really based on psychological principle and you can actually see him fail quite a lot of times mm. I think yeah, that's the cool
0: thing about him, huh?
2: Yeah, Like yeah, the yeah. fact
0: that sometimes his tricks just go wrong. <laughs> Which, uh, again, though, I mean, I think there's an argument there as well because I know, uh, I, I, well, we're going to get into this at a later time, but Darren Brown um, is another person that, uh, you know, is a mentalist and uses a kind of a mixture of actual mentalism and, and magic. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because at the start of me and Benji, uh, a year ago we were at his uh, performance before everything, happened in the world uh and he starts by purposely you know he he messes up i guess you could say you know entre guillemets, sorry and mm-hmm. i don't how to say that in in english but he messes up like you know but it, he's not really messing up right and and, and it's kind of like it, it's it's one of those things that's um you know it, it's it's just for the, the show right and it's makes to make the person it's to make the audience feel like oh this is real like he's doing all of this stuff for real like and 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 I think that's interesting. So, would you say like I don't know? Would you say that the like Chan Canister was messing up on purpose, or would you say genuinely like, or maybe I don't know? That's not a I, very easy question to answer. But have, like, do yeah. you think some of it is? Yeah, I don't have
2: I, I don't have the answer, but I think I, at least some of, some of it was was real. And yeah, what I found really nice about him, and I think maybe Darren Brown was a bit uh, inspired by him, is that. Um, he freely admitted that anyone could do what he was doing and that it was all based mm-hmm. on psychology rather than like dexterity mm-hmm. and he was uh, very openly confessed uh, he he very openly confessed um, the fact that he could influence and make people choose certain cards from a deck and mm-hmm. control the choices as well so I find it really cool he was really? like, sometimes just basically saying I'm going to force these cards mm-hmm. to you and I, yeah I think that's that's quite cool, but yeah, he was using a lot of um, psychology principles. And in the in the extract you sent me, so in the BBC from I think 1960, mm-hmm. he's making uh, making a very clever use of the position force, like where you put four cards on the table mm-hmm. and you ask the spectator to take one, right? And he yeah. he kind of uh, rushes the spectator to take and points at one of the four cards on the table, and what's interesting is that he actually uses uh, two different words and which are carefully chosen. So he says like, take, take a card, point, point at a card and kind of rushes her a bit as well. And so that made me think that uh, we studied this force and what we've discovered is that uh, when you use the term choose a card and touch it rather than simply saying touch one of the cards, the percentage of people choosing the fourth item, which is the third from the left, uh, drops from sixty to thirty-five percent. So I think the, the, these kind of mm-hmm. words were really carefully chosen, and that's that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I like that, and I think for everyone at home, just to give you an idea of the the force that we're actually talking about, so it, it's a and it's one that we I think we we sent maybe a few people have already watched um, Alice's TED Talk because we sent it out to to our listeners, and um, if you haven't watched it, please go check it out. Um, It's really interesting. But um, the one she's talking about is essentially you lay out four cards in front of someone and you ask them, again, the words are important, but (laughs) you ask them to push forward a card. um, And like she said, usually it will be the one uh, third from the left, right? And so I I think, well, depending on if you're left or right-handed. Yeah. Um, But. Uh, it's interesting because actually, me and Benji were kind of having a chuckle to each other after we listened to your TED talk because we were like, we already respect John Canister a lot, right? <laughs> we think that he's he's an was an amazing mentalist, um, and we love his work. Um, and it, it it kind of made us laugh to think like not only, you know, because he's so ballsy in his presentation of stuff, like the fact that he's just you know messes up and stuff. The fact that he was taking a sixty percent chance. You know the fact that there's actually forty percent chance that his trick still messes up even with like saying just push it and rushing her I think that's uh, it's it's uh I don't know it just made us laugh It's it shows yeah. just kind of like what sort of guy he was
2: yeah that that was risky, but I'm saying sixty percent and it's like like you have to remember it's in the context of um, a psychological experiment so I'm not doing any right. other tricks right. beforehand I'm not building any rapport or like relationship yeah. with the participants and mm, this so kind you- of stuff. But I think definitely have a, a an impact as well on the success rates. So I think mm. he probably had a higher success rate than 60%. Mm. That's
1: interesting. Because oh, okay. I was going to ask, right? Because he walks this fine line between, like you were saying, half the time he's basically telling them, look, I'm going to force a card on you. Um, and I remember from watching your video how you were saying that when they become... Uh, in their head when they become aware that they have to make a choice or that they're making some kind of a choice doesn't matter what they choose in itself knowing that they have to make a choice decreases the success rate and because his whole like act is you know i'm going to force this not in those words but he makes it such a bold claim that you would think it would trigger that instinct to be more careful in your choice but the way he that's like his overall presentation but the way he tackles each individual selection like you're saying using the words he uses somehow manages to avoid that and i think that's like a razor thin line he's walking on but he does it pretty masterfully
2: yeah exactly i think he was really clever in like choosing the like what kind of stuff he was saying to each spectator and like if he wanted to force a card in a specific way he would like make them maybe more suspicious for this force and not for another one Mm. and yeah, he was really, really smart.
1: Before we wrap up with um, Chan Kanasa, did you have any thoughts on the, it's somewhat infamous within the magic community, um, at the moment when he brings the, uh, I forget the name of the guest, the guest up on a chair, and he has him choose which pocket he wants the cards to be in. Um, and it's like a 50-50 choice, and he chooses, but then he says, oh, I'm going to give you maybe 10 seconds to change your mind if you want. Mm. Um, and whatever you choose, that will be the outcome. And he's so bold. Um, and the guy changes his mind. And it turns out, of course, Chan, uh, the whole thing goes well and those are where the cards are. And, but he seems so risky and nobody really knows like what right. he would have done if it gone wrong. But do you have any idea, not what he would have done, but the psychology he employed to, to, to make that outcome? Uh, certain, Well, somewhat certain.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I was thinking maybe he was using some kind of uh, equivoque type of technique in this in this type of situation like he would have just changed his way of doing the the presentation based on whether the person was changing their mind or not i guess mm-hmm. but you yeah, know i i don't have any idea that that's mm-hmm. definitely really bold
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, part of the crazy. romance of it is that it's <laughs> kind of hard to figure out like <laughs> who, who does know what he would have done that's kind yeah. of the charm of it yeah. all right um we could talk about Canasta for a while, but there's, uh, <laughs> there's more questions to get through. So, I was um wanting to ask you: you are, at least if I understand correctly, you're like your background is psychology, and you decided to uh, study magic and study forcing in order to, uh, what's the word? I don't know, help and and
0: uh, further, I guess.
1: Further, yeah, I don't know. Um, as a as a kind of branch of psychology, and so my question was: has that at any point turned into somewhat of a passion for magic as an end in itself or is it still just kind of like this academic pursuit and and means Mm. to the psychology?
2: Mm, Actually I I was into magic before uh, I I implementing it in my research so I I basically just found a way to combine different interests Mm. to make it more fun for me. Um, I think I can't say I hold a passion for magic because I don't spend my Mm -hmm. free time watching magic shows and tricks. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely really into understanding our mind and how our brain is tricked and the quirks of our psychology and all the subtle inferences that guide our choices. So magic kind of fits perfectly into all these interests Mm -hmm. and it's my project's really something that I love. But um, I have to say like studying magic from a scientific point of view definitely made my interest grow. Um, I feel like When you put work into something, you tend to become more interested in it anyway. And I'm feeling very lucky that part of my job is to read and learn about magic or even watch magic performances. And yeah, the more I learn about magic, the more I find it fascinating. And I think it's just also a fantastic tool uh, not only to study psychological processes, but also to transmit scientific knowledge outside of Canada, because it, it kind of sparks people attention and it's just a great way to create a, an interest into understanding the human mind and its flows and how not to be full hmm.
0: i like that i, I think it's interesting I, I like how you talk about just kind of like the tricks of the mind and stuff like that and uh it, i don't know i it maybe it kind of reminded me we had um danny goldsmith on the the podcast um a few a few weeks ago now maybe yeah i don't know how long ago it was but um it was interesting because he was talking about and actually, I don't think he said this on the podcast. I think this is when we were just, me and Benji were, were jamming with him afterwards. We were just doing some magic together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he was talking about just how, like, basically, like, with his coin magic, right, the mind tricks you to think that the coin's still there, right? So when he does something, like, I don't know, one of his, like, retention vanishes or whatever, like, he places it in your, like, his hand, right? And, like, the light gets to your eye, <laughs> but, like, but your mind can't, catch up like it almost it just can't catch up with the fact that it's vanished. So it looks like it's still in his hand when in fact it's already left his hand, in it. And it's fascinating to watch him do it because it, it you, you could just swear that like the coin was still in his hand, but yet it's disappeared, you know? And and I think it's interesting how, you know, not just in mentalism but in coin magic the the mind is manipulated to think uh that something is there. Well think that something's there that, that actually isn't. Um and so um, just moving forward from that, um, as far as like misdirection goes and that kind of this sort of deep level of thinking when it comes to magic, um, do you think that magicians kind of have an unconscious competence for that? Uh, like as, as far as, you know, it's just something that they naturally do, they naturally misdirect people. Uh, and, you know, if that's the case, then do you think it's, do you think that by studying like you do, magicians can probably have better effects? I don't know if that question's mm. entirely clear, but
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I guess I think it totally depends on the magician, right? Uh, Like I've met some magicians who have a very deep understanding of attention, misdirection, and how to take advantage of our our, our mind's flows and uh, to misdirect attention. And others who kind of seem to just perform really intuitively based on what has worked uh, in the past and for them. And I remember, for example, uh, Tom Stone's lecture during our last uh, Science of Magic conference in Chicago. Mm. and he just blew my mind he was like he has a very very elaborate understanding of how to use specific gestures motions and timing to direct attention and this was absolutely fascinating so i guess it it, yeah it really depends on on the magician um regarding whether it's maybe easier with unconscious competence i think it's easier with both conscious knowledge of what you can do with the audience mind Um, and unconscious, or at least embodied and automatized, knowledge. I think both are like great tools. So you're gonna be better anyway if you had like, like train a lot and your body is used to do certain gestures at like specific uh, points, and understand the mind and what you can do and do with it and take advantage of it. It's just yeah a bonus.
0: Great, thank you. Then I answer and and it's interesting as well because I like. It was funny, I don't wanna to... we had like uh, we talked to Maritz Muller, who's who's a coin magician and card magician. Um and he was it was funny because we asked him about he's kind of famous for his like happy smile that he does during magic. Uh and like we we, we kinda of asked him about it afterwards and uh he was just like, Oh, like I just smile you know <laughs> like uh, on, on a lot of forums you'll see a lot of people say like oh the way that he uses his smile is just like genius misdirection and, and me, likewise me and benji kind of thought oh that must just be like a performance like tool right but actually in fact it's just like we were saying an unconscious competence right but he has this smile that allows him to to perform better so yeah i think i think that's a thank you for answering that question
2: mm-hmm. yeah and i guess with like with with time you just understand what works for for you as as well right
0: right yeah mm-hmm.
1: kind of like the uh Scientific method, but on a more intuitive, uh less less scientific way. But you know, just test <laughs> trial and error. Yeah, um, that's it. Because obviously, when you're performing, in a way, you're kind of conducting a scientific test. You know, you're doing something, you're seeing if it works. If it right. doesn't, and and really, your livelihood depends on making it a, a fair test. Because if it if you don't improve, then you're not going to get more shows. And I know it's not that simple, but it, it is kind of like that in a way. Um, yeah, I had a question. Um, So, you've gained a lot of insight into psychology um, by studying magic. In what ways do you think people can improve their magic by studying psychology?
2: Mm, uh, Well, as I was saying before, um, it's the kind of conscious knowledge which can be a a bonus. Mm -hmm. And understanding how your brain, like the spectator's brain work, can just make you like build stronger power, more powerful illusions I, I i guess and i think uh the papers like we and other scientists published on magic for the academic communities already uh relevant to magicians so that might be a bit hard and arduous to read for someone who's not used to it but there's already useful things out there i think for for magicians and um so with the book we plan to write we'll try to adapt it for magicians um And make it more fun, uh, but scientific studies on magic, are, I think, are already helping us explain why magic tricks work. Because I think magicians are very aware of when they work, but not necessarily why they work. And just like with the scientific uh, experiments, we are providing a deeper understanding of the psychological mechanism that underpin the techniques. And if you understand why something works, you can take advantage of it and create more powerful mm-hmm. magic. So I would advise to go and check the Science of Magic Association website, maybe, where you can mm-hmm. find a list of research on the subjects, I think until 2019 or something. Mm-hmm. And we also have created taxonomies of misdirection and forcing techniques. So that can be quite useful. We have like uh, reviewed... A lot of scientific studies on, on forcing, for example, and all the results that we have, the success rates and what factors can have an impact on whether they work or not. So, for example, like we, we studied the, the crisscross force or mm-hmm. the crosscut force. And so in the magic literature, like it is known to work because you have time delay and misdirection, right? Mm-hmm. When you do the cross shape. Mm-hmm. And so we thought it was these factors which were helping for the success of the of the technique and we were really surprised to find out that it doesn't help at all like it just the crisscross force works so well even without misdirection and and time delay so this can help maybe like just you know understand why it works why you maybe shouldn't Hmm. be too stressed about other things and like using some things which are not necessary for example
1: that's interesting because I think when you when you don't so when you when you can do something in magic where it works but you don't quite understand why it's hard to optimize that right once you have knowledge of them uh, mm-hmm. once you have knowledge of something you, you can optimize it because you know where you stand and so you know how to improve, um, and that's interesting about the cross force. The crosscut force. I'd, I'd never. I had no idea. Um, actually, speaking of the cross. Crosscut force. I was planning to ask you this later, but I sent you um an article prior to this. It's a by your standards, I'm sure, very informal scientific study. Um, but there was a magician who had spectators basically rank which forces were the most fooling, um, and it looked like the crosscut force came out on top, if my if my memory is right, and the classic force, which is always sort of perceived as the number one most fooling force, was one of the least fooling. Uh, again, if I if my memory serves. Is that does that correlate with what you found? Um
2: yes, uh, actually that was quite quite good. Like you that's not perfect science, but the, that that's mm. quite good. Um, so we haven't really compared the techniques, but yes, definitely for the the crosscut for us, we are really surprised. Like it's I, I think it's so under underestimated. Mm. Uh, it's really, really powerful. Because Yeah, you don't, you don't need to misdirect the attention. You just need to like do the cross shape and that's it. And it works so well. And people report feeling completely free for what happened. So that's a really nice force. Uh, we haven't studied the classic force, but I know that there's, there's a paper on it. And Mm. for what I remember, people felt quite free for the, for the choice. So it worked well, but they didn't have a huge success rate. Mm. But as I, I think. From what I remember in the in the um, the website you sent me, mm-hmm. the classic force was not so good because that's basically the only force that spectators know, right?
1: Right, they have that preconceived
2: notion. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think most people don't know about forcing techniques, but if they do, that's definitely the the kind of of force that they they would be suspicious about, like the kind of techniques. But yeah, crisscross is is great, and I think the the like we've studied the magician's choice, the Mm equivoc as well. And again, we were really surprised because we already know that it's a really powerful technique, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but we wanted to see how well it would uh, perform if we would repeat it three times in a row. So we like we expected participants to understand that they were forced as Mm -hmm. we were repeating the the technique. And we were always forcing the same cards. So we had like four cards on the table again. And we were always forcing the, uh, I I think, the second card from the left to the same participants. And they just, they don't understand. Like they, they still think that they were the one choosing the card, even if they saw that it was the same card three times in a row. So that's quite amazing. Like these two are really powerful techniques.
0: Well, I don't know which forces are we practicing uh, in the coming coming weeks. So thank you. I appreciate you talking about that. Um, so um, I uh, I actually just wanted to move away from, um, you know, just kind of like a specific magic for a moment and, and move towards something um, a little bit more from your TED talk where you talked about um, what we can learn basically from the magic of deception, right? As, as far as like, I don't know, modern day media goes or how your mind is manipulated. And and I think uh, one of the reasons that I was really excited to have you on is I think that's an extremely, uh, pertinent subject at the moment. Um, because we, especially I I live in the U S and, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too into politics, but, um, there's definitely on both sides, uh, a lot of manipulation going on, right. And a lot of twisting facts and a lot of deception. <laughs> um, so, I'm interested to hear, I mean, what have you learned from magic, right? First of all, yeah, I guess, like, what have you learned from magic about the psychology of deception and about kind of how people are fooled? Uh, And then afterwards, uh, a follow-up question would be, and how can we stop ourselves from being fooled?
2: Mm. That's a very good question. Um, I guess the main thing that I've learned from studying magic is that Unfortunately, we are way more easily fooled than we would like to think we are. Whether it's like it's it being like visual awareness, attention, or even memory, we are not like video cameras. For example, our our memory is very fallible, fallible, and we tend to lack of focus and attention, and we are quite lazy. So, and magicians understand that very well. That we tend to be in a constant state of Automatic, impulsive uh, kind of thinking and behaving, and mm-hmm. they are definitely not the only ones understanding this. So yes, you can see it's like we we tend to just um, be victim of our psychological biases. And people working in marketing understand this very well, but people also working in politics understand that very well. And and yeah, we have a lot of misinformation. On social media um yeah which is
0: easily t- easy to access right it's it kind is i like think of like laziness right yeah because it's way it... easier to go on facebook than it is to subscribe to the new york times because you have to pay and the articles are harder to read you know exactly
2: you have to so make can... more effort to e- access information which are uh, maybe more truthful or which don't go um in the in the same direction of your prior beliefs so like it's it's more demanding in terms of um cognition so it's harder mm-hmm. and as we have like all kind of information all day long and our eyes on social media it's easier we access this all the time it's freely visible and it kind of plays with our emotions a, a lot as well and magicians know to do that very well but other people know to do that well as well and that works really really well so we have to be careful about this yes
0: hmm. and so in that follow-up question what i know it's a hard one maybe there is no way but what have you found from your studies like for instance it's interesting how you brought the thing that you know even though people were being forced the same card three times in a row they thought they were choosing it freely you know which is pretty funny uh, funny but also hmm. scary when you think about it in the way of you know politics or news manipulation they thought they were making a free choice three times in a row. And even when you told them, or I don't know if you told them, but even when they saw that the answer was the same every time, right, they still didn't think that they'd been manipulated. So, I mean, I, that sounds uh, pretty scary to me <laughs> as far as like, uh, you know, it's it's like, if if you're, if you literally see the same card three times in a row and you see the same movement and you can't catch cl- like click on, which, which is normal. Like, I remember being a kid or even being, you know, even older than that. Like, and someone forces a card on me like three times. And I'm like, I, in fact, Benji's done it to him a bunch of times. I keep thinking that I'm making a free choice, but it's still the card that he wanted me to pick. So anyway, I I think it's a hard question to ask, but what would you say would be kind of, how would you go about starting to try and move away from being manipulated? And and what tips would you have? Yeah.
1: And maybe how do you do it as well? Like on a, on a kind yeah. of practical basis.
2: Like, well, I think the very first step, and I was mentioning it in the in TED is that we need to uh, be aware of these kind of things and make people aware that we have flows, our minds have flows, and we are really easily manipulated. And that's not something that you necessarily want to hear, but that's true, yeah. and that's important to understand it, to be more aware of all kind of stuff. So for example, because I know that um, brands pay to be at high level on grocery store shelves, when I'm going to buy my pack of rice or my bottle of wine, now I can look at the shelves, which are uh, like the very low ones, you know, like because I know that I'm going to make an effort and try not to be lazy all the time. So I think it's right. very very important to make people understand this and one way so we haven't really studied this principle um, way further than this but i'm going back to the the placement force with the four cards where you ask someone to choose one of the cards you can see that just because you say choose a card and then push it rather than just push a card it drops from 60 to 35 percent. so that's that's quite huge just like with a simple words like this so just Encouraging, uh, encouraging people to um, be aware that they are making decisions and that their actions have an mm-hmm. impact and that they are choosing something ha- can have a huge impact. So just like, pay more attention to what you are doing mm-hmm. right now. Pay more attention to the choices you are making and understand that you are easily influenced by many, many things all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you think choices are more easily manipulated when it's... Oh, sorry. Do you think they'll be less easily manipulated when it's a collaborative choice? Because I'm just thinking, as an example, um, it was reminding me... I'd never thought about it this way, but when you were saying about the the brands paying to be on eye level in in like supermarket stores, um, I had a similar experience where uh, I started the website, The Daily Magician, and I started learning, okay, how do I get my website to rank in Google? And I started writing reviews for products. And and because I was a magician, I I did have some expertise and I could write the reviews for these magic products. But the more I did it, the more I realized it wasn't really... um, And Google is trying to combat this, but they'll never be perfect today, I don't think. It it wasn't really a question of, am I an expert on the topic? It was more, am I an expert on getting my site to the top of Google? Because whoever owns the search results owns, I don't know, whatever, (laughs) like, when you Google something. narrative, right? Yeah, I I didn't want to say narrative, because it sounds so, like... I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a buzzword. Um, but yeah, whoever owns those search results kind of gets to manipulate whatever choice you make. Um, and so being behind the scenes and seeing how that could work, thankfully we uh, we are, like I said, we are magicians, so you can trust our site. <laughs> but usually when you Google that stuff, I just don't really trust what sites are in there because I know, like, oh yeah, you're probably not an expert on, like, nutrition. You're just an expert on, like, SEO and getting your site ranked. Um, so instead, I tend to try and look for, like, forums and discussion groups where there's no individual um, interest in in getting that to the top. And so it's more like a collaborative thing. And I was just wondering if that plays a role as well in in these kind of decisions you're talking about. Like, for example, even picking the card, if it's like a collaborative thing, does that decrease the chance of being easily manipulated?
2: What would you call a collaborative decision in real life?
1: Say say, um, you were doing this force, but rather than just being on me, it's me and Jacob. And so we get to uh, talk to each other and then decide one. I'm, I'm imagining the outcome is pretty yeah. certain that it's going to be less of a hit rate. But even more, like on an abstract level, you know, any decision, the more uh, voices and, and input go into yeah. making the decision, does that sway it to be less influenced? I or, have. Or does it still?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no answer for this. But that's actually a really interesting question, and I would love to make an experiment out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. Well, yeah, well, I mean, will have to back on the podcast uh yeah. you done it. I'd
1: love to talk about it.
2: Yeah, but that's that's a really interesting question, and I, I guess I would hypothesize that if you are, if like the more people you have when you make the decision, the less automatic the decision will be,
0: mm-hmm.
2: because if you encourage the discussion, you encourage people to think. So, mm-hmm. yes, I, I would I would think so
0: i really like that because it's, it's an interesting thing right uh, and i was influenced i was actually introduced to this principle uh in france by uh, it's, it's my kind of like weird or like story where i went up to like the guru on the mountain but um uh, there was basically the, there was this um woman that i studied with in france for a while um who was like really into like meditation and just kind of like all of that just that section of life you know just like influence like choosing your decision on like like how important your decisions are and like the power of the mind and, you know, all of that stuff. And so it was really interesting because, for instance, she had me do something um, that was, I wasn't allowed to say the words, I'll try and like, I might, or like, you know, all, all of that vocabulary was just complete taboo, right? And every time I would say, I'll try to do that, she said, no, you will do that. Or like, uh, like maybe, or you know, so anyway, so I started to change my vocabulary um, to say, uh, no, yeah, we will see you tomorrow or you know, um, I will do this, you know, and it was either, you know, one or the other. And For instance, like even that has a huge impact on how your mind thinks, right? Because um, from that moment forward, you're like, no, I am in control of my decisions, right? It's not, I'll try to do that and some like otherworldly force will like influence me to do it or not. It's like, I am <laughs> choosing like directly, like this is what I will do and like, I'm going to do it. So I think it's, it's an interesting point, right? Just the, just being conscious of the fact that you're in control of your life and that you're in control of your decisions and that you're in control of what you take in and what you give out uh, influences, changes the way you act so much. And it's interesting that you see that in that microcosm, right, of magic in the way giving this, giving the spectator, the, the choice, the chance to think about the fact that they're in control of their decision means that they're less influenced. Um, and so anyway, I don't, I don't quite have like a question or anywhere I'm going with this, but I, it's, it's interesting, like what you're saying, because it's, I can see why you would pick magic now as a psychological study, because it's fascinating to take that microcosm of picking a card and apply it to something bigger, uh, like voting in an election or like choosing which car you're going to buy or choosing which house you're going to buy. Right. Because if you're, if you're aware that you're being influenced and if you're aware actually that you are in control of your decision, you're less likely to make to act impulsively um and so yeah it's just it's interesting i mean benji you you like to kind of use like the 72 hour rule right mm-hmm. yeah and
1: yeah i mean do you want what you did you yeah. it was a, an invitation to you can it. explain it yeah i mean it's nothing special really it's just before you make any major major decision that's going to have a i mean there's no really set definition maybe i should have a set de- criteria for what constitutes a major decision but i think you know when you when you're making a major decision that's major mm-hmm. decision is never make it within uh seven first kind of 72 hours of having the proposition handed to you so for example somebody comes to you and says hey do you want to strike this business deal and it's like oh seems pretty attractive but it's kind of like a big deal let's just wait 72 hours because i don't know there's so much impulsiveness and it's so it's so hard to trust yourself in the first little like time after that that you just give yourself a few days and Maybe maybe the science to this maybe there isn't, but I found it's quite helpful.
2: Actually, there is. That's really interesting. I think that's a very good idea to do this. There's some studies showing that we actually make better decisions with our our unconscious um, hmm. implied in the decision. So, like you know, we kind of have this thing like sleep on an idea or on hmm. a decision, but and like intuitively we know that it can help, but it it really does. And our unconscious can just work for us quite a lot. So that's really interesting. And your story um, what makes me think about meditation. Meditation. I would really like to see whether people who meditate a lot actually are less influenced in this mm-hmm. kind of uh, situations and and whether they act more more deliber- deliberately. I think that would be interesting because we we also know that people who meditate a lot. Um, correlates negatively with people who are high in hypnotic uh, suggestibility so we know that people who are highly hypnotizable um are more susceptible to priming effects for example so i guess people who meditate a lot would be less susceptible to some kind of forcing techniques
0: wow that's really fascinating isn't it? it it's just yeah it's it's, that's what, thank you for saying that because it's nice to have it like substantiated because the stuff that benji and i talk about a lot but it's nice to say oh okay like there is actually science behind like waiting 72 hours to make a decision you know <laughs> there is actually science about like being deliberate in the choices that you make in your life you know because like i'd be interested as well i mean this is just like i'd be interested to see um for instance i wonder how this would work someone that plans the daily plans how that would make it a, like an influence, like what card they choose as well. So, someone that, you know, that strictly plans their day out and is aware of all the time that they have versus someone that doesn't. I don't know. There's so many factors, right? That um, and maybe, you know, maybe their planning is more like influenced, you know, maybe they're planning because they have to because of like their company. And I don't know. Uh, you know, then you'd have like entrepreneurs versus employees or business owners versus employees. Like, it just be, it's, it's, it just kind of goes on and on, right? Yeah, there's <laughs> a, a lot of things to should...
2: do. <laughs> But yeah, then yeah. The, the next step in the research we are doing is actually to look at indiv- uh, individual differences into uh, forcing techniques and see whether people who ha- are what's called like high in need for cognition, who, who tend to like think a lot or less influence in, in this kind of situations. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the results.
0: Yeah, you definitely have to tell us about it once you're done. And is that is that
1: the kind of thing that um, I know you mentioned the book earlier? Is that the kind of thing that would go in there, or is the book a separate project?
2: Uh, if yeah, I guess it would go in there. Yeah, yeah, we we will definitely put results of the of the science into the book. But like we are at the very early stages of the project. So with yeah. um, Gustav Kuhn, who's my PhD supervisor and the the director of the Magic Lab at, at Goldsmiths, we are planning to. Write a book on the science of magic just for magician, and he already mm-hmm. wrote a book on the science of magic, but more for lay people or even mm-hmm. academics interested in the subjects. But mm-hmm. this time we want to use our scientific results and psychological theories to help magicians in the performances. So yes, mm-hmm. this would like if we have the results already, we would definitely mm-hmm. put it in the book. And yeah, I'm really excited about this.
1: Actually, I haven't. Interesting question for you. So, with, with these kind of projects, right, putting out like this kind of book, um, it lends a lot of credibility to the all too common uh, magician's line, which is, "Oh, I am going to use I am going to use kind of like psychology to influence your behavior," when in fact it's it's just some dumb gimmick they bought online, you know. So, how how it, is there a trend? I don't know. I mean, I guess if you haven't studied it, maybe you don't know, but is there like a indicator you can use to tell when people? really are used in psychology or they're just kind of like trying to borrow the credibility of the work of people like yourself?
2: Yeah, that's a a tough question. That's something I'm actually a bit torn about because as a scientist, I know that pretending to use psychological principles when it's just a trick leads people to build erroneous ideas about the mind and psychology and what's possible. And as a Mm -hmm. person, I just love this type of presentation, like turn brown Mm -hmm. types of show. Um, about indicators uh, that something is or isn't psychology uh, it depends on what you mean by psychology mm. but if you mean psychologically influencing spectator's choices in a stage show I would just start from the the assumption that none of the effects are based on this mm. uh, on TV I honestly have no idea because you can do the trick a hundred times and show just the five people with whom mm. the trick works That's uh. True. But otherwise, yeah, I think very few magicians actually use uh psycho like subtle psychological inferences. Because that's mm-hmm. that's risky and you don't want to you know mess up the the performance. Mm. Do you it's, do you use uh, a lot yeah. of psychology? Do you use like risky tricks? Uh,
1: <laughs> um yeah, but I don't know if that's a good thing. Uh <laughs> um like like we're talking about Chancan uh Chankinasta. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like high risk, high reward magic. So I think I would. Um, But like you're saying, I don't think I would if I was being paid to perform or if it's like a big crowd. Whereas when it's like a one on one and maybe like Jacob saying, if I'm performing for Jacob or just a friend. And maybe that is an indicator, you know, if you're if you're it's if it's a one to one individual performance, I'd be more likely to try and use that stuff. Because what's the risk? Right. Just one person yeah. sees it doesn't work. It's like no, no biggie. You know, whereas when you have like a contractual obligation, it's like, well, maybe now isn't the time to try and test this new thing I've never tested before.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. what's exciting about it as well, knowing that you can fail, but mm. like wh- yeah. when it works, it's just so good, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's interesting because we kind of touched on Dan Brown before, and he, I think, he, you know, he's one of those performers that uses that. I mean, I mean, constantly in his performances, and so. Uh, it's interesting but I, I like how he precursors it though because it, I, I, it's interesting what you said about you know you don't want people to have erroneous beliefs but I like how Darren Brown precursors all of his performances which is I'm going to lie to you like you can't believe a word that's going to come out of my mouth and then he's like and now I'm going to use psychology for it. <laughs> you know it's like mm. uh, yeah, I, I I enjoy the fact that he's open and like it's interesting how you made that link to Chan Canister how Chan Canister as well was like pretty open with, in his performance style and, and honest with the audience um and so I mean I I was amazed when I saw Darren Brown for the first time live. I mean I saw some I s like when he stuck somebody's hands together right next to me and then like, you know, and they couldn't move them, and then when he makes people pass out on stage, I I mean it, it, not pass out, but you know, he gets them into that meditative state. Um this adjustable state where they're, you know, not quite consciously there. Um I mean, it's a basically my question is What do you think of Dan Brown? (laughs) Do you enjoy his performances? Like, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Like I'm a huge fan. I actually, I discovered him during my very first year as a psychology undergrad, like during a methodology lecture we had the, the lecturer did a presentation, the Barnum or Forer effect, you know, the facts that we tend to accept Mm -hmm. broad statements Mm -hmm. that we could, Mm -hmm. could apply to everyone. It's just something specific to us. And he showed us um, a video of Darren Brown using this this yeah. effect on TV. <laughs> and after this, I, I kind of binge-watched all of his shows and learned a bit of hypnosis. And I traveled from France to the UK twice to attend two of his shows. I think it was mm. in Famous and then Underground, a, a small one. Mm. Yeah, well, I think it and- was. Yeah, that's,
0: that's what we went to. Yeah,
2: yeah, and twice yeah, I've UK. waited desperately at the end of the shows to meet him, but haven't seen him. <laughs> but we yeah, I, I love him. Sorry, it. Alice. Wait,
0: we he he spoke to us actually in New York. We we waited after his show to speak to him, yet. Yeah. Had oh, look, like you. <laughs> I'm really jealous. I, mean, I
1: wasn't, wasn't going to rub it in, but I guess if Jacob brought it up, uh, I, mean, I was
0: just like, whatever. <laughs> no,
1: it, it you know, I thought
0: about like, not rubbing it in, but I was like, eh, we're English, cause... so. Something good at.
1: <laughs> he, um, I mean, we told this story before, but he came out and he was not, he was just wearing like regular clothes and, and we didn't even recognize him yeah. as Darren Brown. Like, we were just talking among ourselves, like, oh, I wonder when Darren's <laughs> gonna come out. And this guy walks past, so like, oh, you're not Darren. And then he turns around and he, and he actually approaches us and he's like, hey, you guys like, um, waiting for me by any chance? And it's like, oh crap, that's like Darren Brown, you know? Um, so then, yeah, we spoke with him for a bit. He even tried. I mean, he yeah. knows what goes on in his brain sometimes. But he was like, he was trying to guess our names as he like shook our hands and stuff. But he was so confident as he did it, it was.
0: Like, it, it
1: is he's like, a, uh, guy.
0: yeah, it's like uh, George uh, or like that. He's like, right, like, no, and he's like, oh, well, worth a shot, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a funny guy. So, yeah, he has a, so, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: Here's a new show that he's planning. It was yeah, meant yeah. to come out this year, but I think it's going to be twenty twenty one, like a whole new material, that kind of thing. I am hoping I can. Well, I don't know if I will be able to catch that, but. Hopefully I can.
2: Yeah, I think there's yeah. a, a tour in the UK, right? In spring, maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah, because yeah. me probably. and Jacob are going to watch it this year, I think. But then, mm. obviously, you know, that didn't happen. But I am excited to see what, what he gets up to.
0: Yeah, me too. It seems really exciting on his Instagram, like the little behind the scenes that he's given. So, Alice, I mean, can you shed any light on kind of how any of that stuff works? Like how much of it? Because sometimes, you know, he does something and you're like, oh well, that's just like out of this world. Like it's just like that's it's just a card trick, right? But then other times you're like, what the heck? Like I don't know. Did you have you ever been able to go to Thorpe Park, Alice?
2: No. What is it? Oh my.
0: Okay, so it's a theme park, right, in the UK. Yeah. Uh, it's in London, so it's pretty close to you. Um, but it has um, it has actually a Dan Brown designed a uh, theme park ride in Thorpe Park.
2: Really? And it is...
0: Uh, yeah, it, you, you'd love it. It is the coolest thing. Like... you oh, I like, have to go there. conditions you at the start. It's like a mixture of virtual reality. I can't even... The thing is, I can't even tell you much about it because part of the conditioning is that you're not allowed to tell anyone about it. So, it, it is... <laughs> it's really... Have you been, bench? No, no, I haven't. Been. Oh, man, you... Right, oh, well, that sounds you, cool. Both of you got to go, yeah. It, it's really cool. I mean, that would be cool. interesting yeah. for you as well to see how psychology... Yeah, <laughs> I see how psychology is, Um, like you know attached to even like theme parks and magic it's it's great anyway um i digress um you you should go um but (laughs) my question was i mean are there any of the performances that you can shed light on like how much of it is real basically because i mean this is like
1: what percentage of stuff actually like fools you as well or is there anything that you actually have insights on that most people watching don't
2: yeah, a lot of his stuff fools me. I have no idea of how he does a lot of his stuff. Like the only thing that I've studied from him is the three of diamonds effect. So, right. you, you know, he's like um priming the spectator to think of the three of diamonds thanks to mm-hmm. subtle gestures and, and keywords. So he's like asking someone to imagine a screen in their mind and he does a diamond hand with the, uh, his hand. Um And so that's the only thing that we studied um, and I know a lot of magicians, uh, think it's actually not how the trick is done. Uh, I've, I've seen some, some comments on that, but, uh, Darren gives very clear instructions on how to perform this for us in his book, Pure Effect and in the DVD, I think the uh, Devil's Picture book. So I found it really cool. I just wanted to know whether it worked. And so we, I started to study this technique. In France as a master student, and since then, I have done a kind of multitude of experiments using it in French and in English. And although I haven't managed to make it work 18% of the time, like he says he does in the book, we definitely have significant results in psychology. Like we have in psychology, what this trick shows huge priming effects, like we don't have in other experiments. So that's quite huge for the psychological literature but for the rest of his stuff i have no idea i just i'm just assuming (laughs) that most of the time he's lying and he's not using psychological stuff and it's really hard on tv as well like you you just don't know what's happening right yeah
0: it's so hard though when you watch shows like for instance i love his like apocalypse i don't know if you went on a binge i'm sure you found that one i mean and then there's the one that's uh where he hypnotizes someone to like assassinate someone um (laughs) Like uh, it's Stephen Fry, I mean, it's just like it's that sort of thing Wait, when it's like backed the up by. Yeah.
1: Did you say? Did is it is it more like he gets them to attempt it or because you didn't? No, they actually finished. go
0: through with it. Well, yeah. Really?
1: Like, does somebody yeah, die?
0: No, no, no. It's it's like okay, I kind of just wanted that peace of mind
1: <laughs> you kind of left me hanging.
0: <laughs> yeah, he killed Stephen Fry. You never heard about it. It was big news. <laughs> no yeah it's like no it was all set up he has like a blood Um, like bag you know it's all staged but then he 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 really did get handed a gun with blanks in it but um yeah i I don't know when it's combined of like amazing feats like that that i'm really inclined to believe
1: because like
0: i i I just think darren brown is like a student of magic and of psychology wouldn't waste his time creating a fake show yeah (laughs) so it's like when he has the ability to be able to do that to someone i'm like what is real and what isn't like and I think that's really why everyone why Dan Brown is such a great performer and why he's such a great magician is because you just the lines are so blurred that you just don't know where you are anymore
2: yeah exactly he's playing with things for which we don't have any like real scientific answers for now like he's like for in his video he's maybe saying uh, he's influencing someone to take an envelope instead of another one because he's priming them and like using some specific words and gestures and so on. And I have no idea whether it's possible or not. And I would love to try it, but yeah, I don't, mm. I don't know. TV shows are really hard to understand.
1: Mm. Yeah. So I was going to say, is like, yeah. cause you talked about priming and I was remembering how in his show, he starts out by playing this, like, well, actually are we allowed? I don't think we're allowed to talk about what goes on in the show. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll stay vague then, but he like, he does something that makes you think you've been primed. Um, and because... I don't know if the fact, the fact that you think you've been primed... There's like so many options. Either A, you have been primed. B, you haven't been primed. Yeah. But now you think you've been primed and that makes you susceptible. <laughs> or yeah, exactly. like C, you not been primed and you're not susceptible. But you think... I don't know. It's just... Like, where do you even begin?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because we watched the same performance twice, right? So we watched mm-hmm. Underground. And then we watched him do basically the same show in New York. And the second time... Well, first of all, we were able to see how a lot more, well, we were much more focused, but the, the crazy thing is like, we still missed such big stuff, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it. I don't want to, I love doing Brown, So I'm, I guess I'll just like go on the I, I on the side of caution, but like he does some crazy stuff, you know, like where hmm. he tells you something's going to happen and literally shows you where it's going to happen and you still don't see it happen, you know? And even the second time watching, even, you know, the fourth time yeah. that I've seen that oh, no. effect, it still got me. Uh, it's just fascinating stuff like that. Anyway, this is basically like a Darren Brown fanboy session, but that's fine.
2: Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Is it like, <laughs> I think it's based on, uh, and what's nice is that he's actually sometimes, it's very clear that he's using some some things based on, based on psychology, like uh, what we call change, blindness and inattentional, inattentional mm. blindness. So change blindness is the fact that we tend to miss some obvious changes in our environment if there's a brief visual disruption. Mm. So he did something like this in his TV show. Can't remember which one, but he was like in the streets talking to someone and like asking for directions, and then there's like two guys walking between the Darren Brown and like the other person with like a huge door or something, and then Darren is switched with one of the guys who really doesn't look like him and yeah. the the person yeah. just you know keeps on with the discussion and just doesn't see what's happening and that's that's quite nice so that's real psychology but again mm. with, with tv maybe he tried a hundred yeah. times before and we don't know
1: yeah i wanted to yeah. ask so we've been talking about darren a bit but i kind of want to fanboy over someone else who's a big hero of ours which is juan tamaris um and so i read on uh, the magic research lab there was a, a section on misdirection and i'd read about how you studied the theory of false solutions um now that phrase is actually probably going to stand out to a lot of magicians who've read juan tamaruz is the magic way so what i'm wondering is did you get to that theory of false solutions independently and, and by science or did you see it in juan's work and then think oh that's interesting we should test that using science
2: Hmm. Uh, this was actually done by uh, I think Gustave and Cyril, who's a French mm-hmm. colleague working on magic as well. So I can't answer this for them. Like, but I, I guess that yes, they like they were completely inspired by by Tamaris' work and, and mm-hmm. books. Like, yeah,
0: uh, and I we had him actually of... on the
2: sorry on the Science of Magic conference as well. He went. He he came to give a lecture on on, on magic, and oh. that was amazing again. Wow. If
1: you have his contact information, feel free to pass it on. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, it's interesting. Maybe not on the podcast. It's interesting how um, sometimes, like, the magician has that intuitive knowledge of it, and then it takes, like, uh, I don't know, like you're saying, then the science kind of, like, verifies it, but he was right at the forefront in terms of he just, like, knew it. And and if you read his book, it's a very kind of poetic... um, Rhetoric, like the way he describes it, it's like he's it's like he's writing some kind of a work of poetry. Um, but it is interesting how later down the line, science comes along and kind of backs up what he was just kind of intuiting about. And I wonder if that's I wonder if there's more stuff like that in magic, where like if you were to get a huge sample of magic theory books and say, "All right, this summer I'm just going to do this project where I have X amount of theory books. I'm going to like look at the main kind of hypotheses in each of them and see." How many of these magicians are actually on the money just based on their like intuition, and then can we back that up by science? I don't know. It'd probably take a while, but it'd be interesting.
2: Yeah, but I think most of magicians' intu- intuitions are uh, are right, and some of, are, are wrong, but like when you do something over and over again, you just understand people and, mm. and how it works as well. So yeah, and Tamahis is definitely one of the greatest magicians to understand performances and, and how to deal with people
0: yeah definitely okay well i think we're gonna we're getting, we're getting towards the end of our our questions um so i'm kind of just interested um okay this is, this is gonna be a if, if you had to okay say this is the only part of the podcast that anyone hears right <laughs> and you had to give them one piece of advice right from what you've learned so far in psychology not to do with magic but just to do with life right what would that one piece of advice be? Say, so, and, and I'm interested. Like, as far as like from what you've learned so far studying your PhD, and it doesn't have to be like you know one sentence, but like from what you've learned so far studying your PhD. If someone just took one gem home today um, from listening to this, what what would that be?
2: Well, that would be that people are lazy. <laughs> no, people are lazy. You know,
1: they're probably still lazy. They didn't listen to this point in the podcast. So exactly.
2: Crazy, you know? Right. <laughs> So you are not, um, yeah, no, that's, I don't know if I should say this, but we are lazy for good reasons, actually, because if we wouldn't, we would need huge brains and we wouldn't look nice. So, yeah, it it would be complicated. No, but I I mean, like, we have to focus our attention on um, things which, which are the most relevant for us right now. And that's why we have flows, but that's also what allows us to be effective in, in other things. So I would just, for magicians, I think the, the most important thing to exploit enforcing techniques. I'm, I'm just going back mm-hmm. to this because that's mm-hmm. my, my field, but is this, this kind of lazy behaviors and you can encourage, uh, lazy automatic behaviors by playing with different uh, things like and I think a lot of magicians do it quite intuitively just rushing people into their decisions I think work Mm. really well but you can also play with um, what's called cognitive load so just putting irrelevant information into the situation to make Mm. it a bit more confusing and hard to to process so you can talk to the person while you're asking them to make a decision and that works really well as well so I would, I would definitely advise people to look into um, psychological theories, maybe dealing with this type of, of behaviours. It's called like system one, system two type of thinking. I think it can be really useful for that, for magicians. Yeah, like, I mean
1: that's I, I'm i aware we're wrapping it up so I don't want to take too long with this. But when you were saying that, the idea of like cognitive load, that was just reminding me of um, when me and Jacob were younger, he did this trick. I mean, I'm sure you've come across this one before where he, he got me to do like a bunch of a bunch of maths in my head and you know okay what's seven times three what's 24 minus 12 what's this plus this It's so just kind of barrage of information and, and calculations and my brain was just so busy with it and then at the end he says all right think of a color okay now think of a shape and then I had it in my mind and he says you're thinking of like a, a red hammer aren't you and I was so mind blown at the time <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's the technique yeah. uh, even if he didn't understand <laughs> it how he was doing it at the time It was that cognitive load. so I like that yeah
2: I think I I think actually this one plays with cognitive load with but also the fact that it's just a stereotypical behavior and like Mm -hmm. the fact that most people tend to react in the same way when they are in in a specific situation it's quite interesting to see that we are kind of all the same like we we yeah we have like trends and we tend to act in the same way basically if we don't make a bit of effort
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. right all right so I guess the the message really there then is be happy that you're lazy because your brain won't be <laughs> massive but also uh remember to take control of your life basically right yeah. i mean like just think about your decisions like it's as simple as that right at least that's what i'm getting out of it like whether it's magic whether it's anything be aware that people uh, of the fact that people are constantly making decisions uh, and be aware of your own and and realize that even the smallest decisions like right, can have a can can have a big effect on your life so yes. i mean alice it's been it's been really lovely to have you on uh it's it's great to hear um your perspective on mind it's great to hear your perspective on life and and psychology it's been a real pleasure as, as soon as your book's out we're we'll we'll be excited to to pick it up and read it uh whenever that happens i know that's a big project um so no pressure uh but yeah uh, if, uh, one thing we do like to do is just leave you a chance to uh, open up to anyone is there anyone that you'd like to hear from how can people get in touch with you if they have more questions um, yeah
2: sure uh, you can just reach me out on Instagram with uh, my name Alice Paez, or on my website which is com, and I'll be there <laughs> awesome.
0: okay perfect thank awesome. you very
2: much for the invitation thank you, thank you, thank you for, for coming okay. up okay.